You're listening to audio from The Village Church. If you'd like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit tvcresources.net. Good morning, y'all. My name is Joshua Rogg. My wife Kaylee and I have been members at this campus about four years. We've gotten the opportunity to serve in both home groups and then steps. This morning, I'm going to be uh, reading from Romans 8, 14 through 17. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, good morning. Um, I love you. We, I've got a... I've got to address some things that I wish I didn't have to address. I wish we could just dive into Romans 8 and we could look at what it means to be adopted as sons and daughters as, a, uh, as, a, as an angle on the gospel of uh, Jesus Christ. And, and I need to talk about uh, the civil case that was brought against the Village Church back in 2019. Um, the reason I can feel the weight of that uh, is because... Uh, there's so many of you in here, like I know your story and I know your background and I know this is going to land on you in ways that I hate. And, and if we could go about it any other way, I, I promise you, we, we would. Uh, and, and so if you are, this is a heavy way to start a service, isn't it? If you are a survivor in here, uh, I, I want to just give you a warning that we need to talk about this civil case, and, and many of you actually knew, uh, and this is all going to be new for you, but, but for those of you who were here back in 2019, uh, you, you'll remember when, when we brought before you uh, an accusation uh, that, that actually was in, in 2019, but it was about our kids' camp, or, or the kids' camp we attended in 2012. Uh, and so I, I, I need to stick to my notes on this in regards to saying what needs to be said and not saying more or less than needs to be said. But if you are a survivor here, I'm just trying to give you fair warning that some of this could be triggering. Uh, and, and you have permission to handle this any way you want. If you need to scroll through your phone or you need to pick up the Bible or you need to walk out for a little bit and, and come back in, you, you can choose uh, how you uh, handle. Just remember that your body will, will tell you before your mind will. Uh, and so I just want to kind of as best I can let you know that I know some of the things that we're about to talk about are, are very difficult things for all of us, but some even more than others. And I want you to hear me say again, I hate that we're having to do this this morning. And yet uh, I'll explain the why of it here in a moment. So if you've been here for some years, you'll recall that in September of 2018, uh, we informed the congregation that an investigation was underway into a report of sexual abuse at the 2012 kids camp that we attended. Uh, 
In January of 2019, the family worked with the Dallas County District Attorney's Office to bring criminal charges against the accused, a former staff member of TBC named Matt Tony. And then later, uh, they brought a civil claim against the village church that June. The original complaint against the village uh, included a laundry list of claims, but on April 30th, 2021, uh, those claims were reduced to include negligence, gross negligence, and intentional infliction of emotional distress. This is legal terms. Under a general theory that we did not lock the bunk room doors and did not uh, assign an adult to stay awake throughout the night. In August of 2020, the Dallas County District Attorney's Office dismissed the criminal charges against Matt Tony, stating, and I quote, the fact remains that the complainant cannot and has not positively identified Matt Tony as the person who committed the offense, end quote. In the latter part of 2021, the charges were fully expunged from Matt Tony's record. This past Monday on October 1st, 2022, the village church and the individual known as Jane Doe One came to a resolution and the civil litigation case was dismissed from the Dallas County Court. Now, let me try to explain why we're talking about this. Every week, there are over a thousand children involved in our next-gen ministries. In this congregation, there are hundreds of survivors. And, and so you might take this as some sort of PR pitch. I'm trying to say we take the safety of your children with a great deal of seriousness. And so after a thorough and lengthy investigation, we maintain and firmly believe that we committed no wrong in regards to child safety or mandatory reporting. It has been our practice to exceed the standard of care as it relates to child safety. The safety of our children and the vulnerable in this place has an extremely high priority. We responded to the accusation with responsibility and care. Jane Doe 1 was believed, and we double reported the abuse allegations to the Texas Department of Family and Protective Services, as well as fully and voluntarily submitting to the authority of the lead detective in the case. We sought our best, as best we knew how, to provide care for this family in the campus that they attended, which was our former South Lake campus. Throughout the course of this legal process, we have maintained that our hope has been from day one, justice and healing, and that continues. I want you to know that we will continue to take all accusations or suspicions of abuse seriously. We provide training to all our staff, elders, deacons, and key lay leaders to increase awareness and make sure there is an understanding on filing reports. TVC believes that all churches should mandatorily report any accusation of abuse. Churches aren't detectives. They don't need to get to the bottom of it. They should mandatory report and let the experts take over in that moment. We believe that. We practice that. If you're a survivor here, and Sam, I, like when I had to do this today and I knew you guys were coming, you need to hear me say we are committed 
to being a safe and healing place for you. Where, where I have felt so provoked in all of this is I know the good work of the Holy Spirit to lead some of you out of really dark, horrific situations. And I know you're so fragile in this moment. I mean, you just like strength for day, but just like, ain't like, just like a smoldering wick might be snuffed out. And I've just pled all week that the Holy Spirit would sustain you in this moment, knowing that we had to do this moment and that the enemy wouldn't get in and snuff out or break or take you backwards but that maybe in this moment, by the grace of God, he might further the healing in your heart. And, and so that's our update. I, I, I hope very much that, that there is a sense of closure in this for us as an organization and as a, a people, and we want to continue to be diligent as best we can uh, to walk in the light and, and to as, as best we know how, according to the training of our day, do what's right before God and man. So if, if you're a, a survivor in here and, and this is triggering something or maybe something's happening, you've never told anyone. Um, I, I want to encourage you, you can reach out to our care department. Summer Vincent Berger and Megan Gray uh, would, would just welcome a conversation with you on your terms to love and serve you in the space that you're in. Uh, and, and so this, this is um, the update I have for you. And the why behind it is because so many of you in this place and in our community trust us with your children. And that's no small thing. You trust us with your grandchildren. And that's no small thing. You trust us with your soul, those of you uh, who are survivors, to, to nurture and to as best we can, uh, by the grace of God, be a safe place for you to heal and grow and so I want to pray for us as a congregation. I want to pray for this family. I want us to orient our hearts around the fact that even darkness is light to God. And he sees and he knows and he is just and no one gets away with anything in the end. So will you join me in praying? Father, we love you. Your scriptures say that even the dark is light to you. There's nothing hidden. So for this young woman, we continue to pray healing and grace and um, Father, life and restoration and redemption and that when all said and done, what, what the enemy meant for evil, you will flip on its head and that she might minister to others in deep and significant ways in time. When she's ready, when you finish the good work you began in her. We, we pray uh, for our family of faith here in this place. We pray for those that you're in the process of healing. Might you continue to, to soothe and, and, and heal and touch those deeper places, those, those places that are nearly impossible for anybody else to get, but your spirit can, can get to. We, we thank you and trust you that you love us. You're for us. You will work in those deep places. And we ask that you would protect the most vulnerable in this place. And we pray that whether it be organizationally or individually, we would be diligent to be a place of safety um, for the hurting and the broken and the most vulnerable in our society. Help us. We need you. It's for your beautiful name I pray. Amen. Amen. We're, we're talking about adoption. And I'm trying to make this weird turn here. We've been talking about um, the gospel 
over the last couple of weeks, and we're, we're trying to look at the gospel from different angles. And so uh, angle one was this idea of justification, that we can't justify ourselves, that there's coming this moment in our lives by the mercy of God that we see clearly that we're not exactly what we thought we were. In that moment, you will either seek to justify yourself by looking at others and kind of comparing yourself to others, or you will throw yourself on the mercy of Jesus. And if you throw yourself on the mercy of Jesus, it's then and then alone that you're justified. So we don't pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. We throw ourselves onto the mercy of Jesus. And then last week we talked about what it meant to be a new creation, this kind of ontological newness that occurs when Christ comes and reigns and rules in our hearts. It changes how we see and experience and understands, understand the world. It shifts our mind. It shifts our heart. We literally get a new heart. We value new things. We desire new things. We're, we're made new by the blood of Jesus. And then that brings me to this week, which I think for our area and, and this part of the country could be the one that unlocks it for many of us. And that's the, this idea of adoption and this idea of being sons and daughters of God. Uh, I have this conversation with my three kids. I've actually had it a lot with them. It's not like that one-off. Uh, it, it's like the, I'm going to have this conversation as much as I can by the grace of God. And I know that it is by the grace of God, all three of my kids, they want to please us. I know that not everybody gets that. Like some people, you get a kid or two, they're like, don't care. Like all three of ours, but like they want to please us. Like they, they desire to not disappoint us, to not let us down. That, that's a powerful thing. It's not lost on me how powerful that is. In fact, that urge is so powerful. They might just be shady to try to not disappoint. And, and so here's the conversation. I, I'm telling you, I've had this, com- I had this conversation two weeks ago with my son. You are going to disappoint me. I am going to disappoint you. And the love that we have with one another will hold it together. There is no way for us to do real life. Now we could pretend, we could hide from one another, we could create distance, but to do life like your daddy wants to do life. I, we've just got to accept, I'm going to fail you. I'm going to let you down. You're going to fail me. You're going to let me down. You're going to drive me crazy. And there's nothing you can do ever that would make me not want a deep, intimate relationship with you. Now, you, you've got all the power there. Maybe something might happen. You don't want to be anywhere near me. But you couldn't do anything. Like, I'm, I'm thought through it. You couldn't do anything that would kill my desire for closeness and intimacy with you. Now, Jesus in Matthew 7 tries to, you know, draw my attention to the fact that there's something in that moment for me and something in that moment for you. Here's what Jesus says in Matthew 7, 11. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Um, Here's my father confession. I'm human. You? Like in your parenting? Any other humans involved here? Okay, so so we'll talk about what that means. Um, (laughs) any, Any of you parents, are you inconsistent and selfish? Anybody inconsistent and selfish? Um, anybody in here ever over-discipline? <laughs> Under-discipline? 
snap and say something ridiculous? Goodness, say that was universal. I don't think I've ever asked a question that got such a universal response. So, so what Jesus is saying here right out of the gate is, hey, hey, look, you, you're, 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 you're like evil fathers. Like you're inconsistent. You, you like snap, you blow up and it's ridiculous. And if you could listen to yourself, you'd feel shame, right? Like you, you have this urge in you to do this well. And man, you kind of are, but by and large, And, and Jesus is trying to draw the attention to, and if that's you, and, and if your kids are as disobedient or as obedient as they are, and you, you know in your heart, I want to be near this kid. I want an intimate relationship with them. I want to know them. I want to know what's going on in their heart. I want to know what, if that's you, how much more? Does your heavenly father long to be near to you and long, right, for an intimate relationship with you where there's nearness and not distance? So Jesus is trying to like lift up our heads as parents and go, okay, yeah, yeah, I I get the the impulse to to be near, to love, to want to walk in the light, to not have distance, to not have secrets, to know one another and cheer one another on. I, I get that, but you as inconsistent as you are at pulling that off. Imagine your heavenly father, who's always consistent, who is love. It's not something he has. It's something that he is, who is ferociously committed to pursuing you and knowing you and making a way for a deep, close, intimate relationship. How much more does he want that? And I think most evangelicals, they, they don't, they don't they can't quite process God like that. So let's look at our passage. Romans 8, starting in verse 14. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit, notice that's a capital S, of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. And the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. So so the first part of this passage is we think about being children of God as a a way of understanding the gospel, the good news of uh, of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, is that you no longer have, so you used to have, but you no longer have, it has not been given to you, the spirit of fear, the spirit of slavery that leads to fear. Now, what's in view as the Apostle Paul unpacks the gospel with this metaphor is, hey, you were once enslaved and that enslavement led to fear. And we were enslaved by anything that we trusted in for our salvation or for the fullness of life that can't bear up under the weight of it. And there's four of them. All right. No, we're Baptists, but there's four, not three. And here's here are the four. The, the first would be, uh, where do we go to find salvation? Where do we go to make sense of life? Where do we go to be happy? Where do we go to kind of fill that place in us that feels a little empty? Well, we run to the self. Like we run to us. Like we have to fix that. We have to make that right. And historically, that's looked like self-righteousness, self-pity, or self-sufficiency. That, that would be kind of if I drew a scale for you and we could, I had a whiteboard up here, which I probably will never, I'll never going to do, make sermons longer, I'd play with it. And so it, it can be, uh, it literally, it can be self-righteousness. Remember that sermon on justification from a couple weeks ago? 
I'm great. I'm better than him. Look at her. I'm a better mom than her. I'm a better, right? It's self-justification, self-righteousness, or or it's self-pity. Like you can't see any goodness in you, any beauty in you. All you see is where you're terrible. Or self-sufficiency. Self-sufficiency is just the low-key belief that you have that you're God. And you would never say that. I can't imagine that you would say that. You a spiritual man? I am. (laughs) What do you believe in? Myself. Now, that's the way it's historically been looked at. In the modern moment, we're in a day of individual expressive. Well, it's expressive individualism is what the sociologists are calling it. And it's this idea that for you to be saved, you've got to take the journey inward. I don't know what that is. I probably won't do that again. You've got to take this. Yeah, I think this is better than this. Like, you've got to take this journey inward. And what you're looking for, here, look at me. This is, this is exactly what's happened. This is exactly what our kids are being told. This is exactly what we're being wooed and drawn into the wilderness to put to death. This is the lie. Then I need to go in and I need to find my deepest desires. And those deepest desires are who I am. And once I find those deepest desires, I need to orient my life around that by finding people who will say, yeah, you are those desires. Those are actually our desires too. And then there's my community. Right? Now, (laughs) your desires will be constantly shifting. That makes you a slave to fear. How exhausting is it to be to completely reinvent yourself every three years. To have nothing external that helps you understand who and what you are. Nothing timeless, nothing rooted in history and reality. Just your desires, your impulses, your compulsions. That if you could be honest for a second and dial in, kind of are making you miserable. So it's the idea of self as salvation. If that's not it, it's others. Man, we look to others to solve what's wrong with us. Don't we? Listen, I, I think I married an exceptional woman who's a really crummy God. I, just, I think Lauren can do just about anything I can think of. She makes me sick. Like she could just decide to be good at something and go be good at it. That's not me. I got like three gifts. And then like, besides that, I, I can like hardly let me out of the house. I... When I entered into marriage, this is our, our first seven years were brutal, like awful, awful, brutal, like, oh my gosh, is this the rest of my life awful? If that makes you uncomfortable, I hope it actually helps you. What I brought to our marriage is a deep need for Lauren to heal some things that were broken in me that she had no capacity to heal. No ability to get into that stuff. And so here I am, naive and dumb, Running into marriage, expecting Lauren to heal every wound of my heart. That's an impossible pressure. It's an impossible pressure to put on a spouse, to put on a friend group, to put on your coworkers, to put on your job, to put on your right. This others get to define me. Others get to uh, kind of help me uh, experience peace and and wholeness. And and it, it makes you a slave to fear because what happens if she doesn't love me? What happens if they reject me? What, oh my gosh, now I better do whatever they think I should do. Now I can't even have an opinion because if they reject me, my whole world burns to the ground. You become a slave 
to fear. And then the third is the world. And I don't mean like going for a nature hike and like finding yourself, you know, in a national park or anything like that. Uh, When the Bible talks about the world, they're talking about a, a way of viewing reality that's inconsistent with God's good design. And we read this in Romans 12, verse two, it says, do not be conformed to this world. So don't be conformed. This world sees things a certain way. Don't you get conformed to that, but rather be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. The call of the Christian life is to be in the world, but not of it, to be separate even as we participate in. Are you tracking with me on that? And and I think for the moment we're in, that means we embrace, radically, compassionately embrace the Christian, historic, orthodox view of sex, of marriage, and of money. If you do that, you are going to be really annoying. And I want, I want you to hear me say this. Here, lean in. This is, see, lean in. They're never going to think we're cool. And, and I'm telling you, like, I, I love you. Jesus doesn't need you to give them a makeover. It's like, oh, man, you're just, you're just the kids today. They're just not going to need you to flex on some of these weird personality quirks that you have. Like, like, the, like you'll... You, you, you dilute it, you kill it. You dilute it, you kill it. Why those three things? Well, because those are the most public-facing, twisted, perverse abuses of our day. They're also the most low-hanging fruit to display Christian beauty. You want to see the beautiful design of God? Look to this. You want to see the wisdom of God made manifest? Look to this. So the people of God, they root themselves in the scriptures. They root themselves in, in the history of God's good graces across time. And, and because what's going to happen is there are plenty of people out there that are Christians that go, you know, God just, he, man, so sorry. He was a little old school. He's always eternal. You know how those guys are. So the, now we figured it out now and you'll find literally, I'm telling you, you're fine. Theologians, whatever that means, they will come out and say, This has been wrong for 4,000 years. We just now, in this moment, just so happens to correlate with the way culture's going, but the church has been wrong for 4,000 years. So now we're going to correct it. We're going to be the ones that, it's called chronological snobbery. That's what C.S. Lewis called it. So, So how do we not conform to the pattern of this world? We look at the biblical, historical, Christian view on sex, marriage, and money. And for all the, how do you agree upon that? You agree upon, it's in the creeds. It's a, you can't agree. It's like a bait and switch to try to make you think that's unknowable. It's a lie. It's absolutely knowable. You won't find it in the world. Listen, I, I get you can be lonely. You, you, you're not going to solve loneliness with a bunch of different sexual partners and and buying a bunch of trinkets and toys. If anything, you're going to have pleasure in a moment and a lot of heartbreak after. A lot of shame you have to carry about. Anyone want to testify? Great pleasure in the moment. Ton of shame the next day. 
And so you're almost doomed to kind of repeat yourself to get that shame to go away that only adds to more shame. And now you're on a treadmill for your soul that's going to run you to death. You won't find it in self. You won't find it in others. You won't find it in the world. And then lastly, you won't find it in religion. Now, I lament that the word religion has moved from kind of its historic meaning to the more modern meaning of like something negative, something bad, right? So when I'm using religion in this sermon, I'm talking about it in its modern context, how it's understood. This idea of outside in rule following, tilt the scales in my favor with goodness outweighing bad that makes me a good person and gets me into heaven if there is one. Right now, there's this great story, C.S. Lewis. He's at Cambridge. I don't know if the story's true. It's kind of legend. I've been looking for it. I haven't found it, but it's a story. It's a good story, so I'm going to use it. Um, so he's at Cambridge, and he walks past this room, and there's a bunch of professors in the room, and they had written out all the world's religions on the chalkboard and things about those religions, and, and they asked Lewis to come in. So I like to imagine Lewis smoking a pipe. He's not Baptist, and he's English, so he's got a pipe, you know, most reluctant convert in all of London. So he sticks his head in the room, you know, just that sweet smell. They didn't know about secondhand smoke yet. He's innocent. And, um, and they said, hey, what's the difference? Clive. I mean, there they all are. What's the difference? And so C.S. Lewis, who cold as ice, puffed his pipe twice. This is complete make-believe. Now at this point, this is absurd. Says to the room, that's easy. I'm sorry, honey. Grace. And then he threw down his pipe and walked out of the room. You see what he did there? In, in that moment, he's like, oh, there's something different. Yeah, not all the world's religions are a bunch of, you follow these rules, you've got to tip the scales in your favor. The reason that all makes you a slave is you'll never know what the scales are. So you will perpetually be trying to earn something. Listen, I love you. Scales don't exist. That's not how God has chosen to do this. It's not how he revealed himself. Your good outweighing your bad in regards to God's glory and salvation means jack squat. You'll be a slave to fear the rest of God. You will create distance from God when you think you've messed up the scales. But remember the opening illustration? God doesn't want any distance between you. That's the way. That's why he did what he's done. That's why Christ has come, because God doesn't want distance. He wants intimacy. He wants nearness. He wants you to come to him with that moment of, dang it, something landed on this scale. I really blew it. And I've said for 20 years that you'll know you understand the gospel by what you do when you blow it. Not when you're doing great that you, you can see, like made manifest that this person loves the gospel and trusts in it. It's when you blow it, like you blow it big. Remember back to week one, justification. It's not the, the Pharisee, but praise God, I'm not like this man. It's the guy that's beating his chest and saying, woe is me that Jesus says, that's the guy that goes home justified. He's a tax collector. He's a terrible person. But he threw himself on the mercy of Jesus. And Jesus says, my son, my guy, my people. Now, each of these will keep you locked up, jammed up, enslaved. But 
The passage doesn't end there. So Paul goes on and goes, that's not you. That, that's not the gospel. You have not been given a spirit of slavery that pulls you back into fear, but rather you have been given the spirit of adoption. Notice that's a capital S spirit of adoption. Well, the spirit of slavery was lowercase. So what we have here in that capital S spirit is somebody's name. Third person of the Trinity. You have been given the spirit of adoption. The Holy Spirit comes, dwells inside of you, seals you, and by that sealing, you cry out, Abba, Father. Now, now this is an interesting little game Paul's playing here. I don't think it's a game. I think it's a game game. He uses two of the same words, one in Aramaic, one in Greek. If you just looked at it on the surface, it looks like, Father, Father. You have received the spirit of adoption by which you call out Father, Father. Except Abba in Aramaic has um, some, some implications in it of great intimacy. It's almost better translated Daddy. And that's why, let's just, cards on the table. Anybody got that friend that when they pray, they're like, Daddy God? Anybody got that guy, gal? Like, here's the thing. I, I got it. They're biblically right. I, just, I don't like it. And I just like... Daddy, Papa, Daddy, just want to, I'm just like, please quit calling him Daddy. I get it. It's in the Bible. Abba, I know you're getting it. It's just so, I love him. I, I'm, I love him. I, I try to put my life in his presence, but will you stop that? And uh, if that's, please don't, you just keep Daddy in it up, right? Even if I'm in the room, you just do it. I am not judging you. I am thinking that's biblical because that's biblical. And, and one of the things Paul's trying to get you to understand, look at me, about your heavenly father is two things. One, the great intimacy with which he wants a relationship with you, Abba, and the great power with which he'll exercise his fatherly power to make sure you make it home. Let me show you that. Here's, here's, well, yeah. Here's what, can I tell you what I'm afraid of for you? I think in a place like ours, this area. We are in real danger of God being an inference, but not reality. Like, here's what I mean. I I think almost everybody in this area probably has a a Bible verse or something on their, you know, Facebook page, you know, Steve working construction, Philippians 121, Debbie sell essential oils. Is that not fair? Should I not have done that? Lawyer. We're going to make you a lawyer so I don't get in trouble. All right? Lawyer. Right? Jeremiah 29, 11. And, and what can happen if we're... I mean, I shouldn't be joking because I'm trying to make this land with some weight. I think too many of us know about him and don't know him. And this intimacy that we've been invited into by a father who doesn't want any distance... Any distance, don't matter your background, no matter, he doesn't want any distance. He wants to close the gap. He wants to grab you up. Most of us know, like we know some celebrity we stalk on Instagram. And it ought not be so. In fact, I love this quote. It would be a tragedy if you went through life, like A.W. Tozer says, trying to love an ideal and be loyal to a mere principle. What a tragedy. When the creator of the universe longs for intimacy, you have an experiential, I know he's here, I know he loves me, relationship with the living God, exchanging that for a principle or an ideal. 
Far too many of you have labored far too long out from under the intimate power of a heavenly father. Let me show you those two ideas. Here's, here's intimacy. And I'm telling you, I, it's a very, you know when you meet somebody who gets this and believes it. This is Zephaniah 3.17. The Lord your God is in your midst. I love that. Um, I want as a father, when I'm home, I, I want everyone, from my wife to my children, to feel, oh, dad's here. So we're safe. We, we know everything's going to be Okay. I want to be a non-anxious presence. You tracking with me? Like, and, and here's God saying, the Lord is in your midst. Now, I'm not away from you. I am not created distance. The Lord your God is in your midst. Listen to this. A mighty one who will save. Listen to this. He rejoices over you with gladness. Do you believe that? Like God rejoices over you with gladness. Now, if you've got kids or you were a kid with somewhat of a healthy parent, you've experienced some level of this. Like none of my kids are the finished product yet. All of my kids have things that make me want to pull my hair out. And I can rejoice over all of them with gladness. You tracking with me? Like I'm not, dang, once they stop that, I can finally love them. Right? I'm not giggling, guys. Like this is how God, feel the text. This is the text. It says God rejoices over you with gladness. Man, I don't know if your daddy could do that. My guess is maybe he couldn't. And so that jacks you up, man. You start thinking that God must be like your earthly father who, who was cold or couldn't show emotion or wouldn't enter in or maybe was angry all the time. And this is going, no, no, he's not that kind of dad. If you who are evil know how to be, how much more is your heavenly father? And he's not only in your midst, but he's just looking at your age, just rejoicing in gladness. Man, you're not there. I know you're not there. We're not there. I get that. He gets it. Rejoices over you with gladness. Why would you run from him? How would you create space from him? Who would avoid being rejoiced over with gladness? Like, I love that phrase because he's not like frustrated by it. Well, I made a promise, so I got to do that. (laughs) Didn't know what I was getting into when I started all that. It's not rejoices over you in gladness. Brothers, you believe that? Sisters, you believe that? Not waiting for you to be what you'll be. He's all in right now. All in. He knows where he's taking you. And he knows that you're going to move slow. Walk with a limp. Touch stuff he told you not to touch 4,000 times. Right? Can't say more without incriminating my children. So, intimate. I don't want there to be distance. I'm in your midst. I'm moving towards. What is the gospel except the heralding that God has drawn near? the freedom from the enslavement of the four bigs. But he's not just desiring intimacy. He's bringing power to the table. In Deuteronomy 24, it says this, for the Lord your God is he who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies to give you the victory. A couple of things. Um, Here's the first. I I want you to notice that this didn't say, I I am the Lord, your God, have a seat in the living room, get your favorite beverage, and I'm going to go whip your enemies. That's not what he said. He didn't say, let go and let me. That's not what he said. Because I think that would make a terrible father. But because he's an all powerful father, he says, I'm coming with you and I got you. 
there'll be no hurt befall you today, not while I'm here. Right, so this, if Abba carries that kind of daddy idea, this, this Greek word father carries this idea of power. It's the, I know Gen Xers did this, I don't know behind me, but that's like, my, my, my dad could beat up your dad. The kids still do that? Maybe not, maybe y'all are, I don't know. But, <laughs> like it's this idea of like, are you serious? Have you seen my dad? Oh, but have you seen my dad? Do you think I'd be anxious about that? Like what are you gonna do to me? You see my pops? You know how wealthy my father is? You know how powerful my father is? Like, what are you going to do to me so you have this father that desires nearness and intimacy and moves towards you now, rejoicing over you in gladness? I loved this other sentence in Zephyrah three seventeen, and it's my favorite. It says, he will quiet you by his love. He will quiet you by his love. Um, I, I can only speak for men because I am one. But the, there are times as a man, I don't know whether I'm angry or sad. Am I alone in that, brothers? Am I, it's just like everybody's looking at me like I've got this like unique issue. They're just like, you should contact Summerberger from the care department. And I have. No, there, there's a... Um, There is a level of nurturing um, that for reasons I won't get into, I, I missed out on. And, and this aspect of intimacy with the Father is this, hey, just come climb up in my lap and sit here. There's no lecture waiting for me there. There's no corrective coming right there. It's just sit here. And the quietness of his love establishes peace and saves me from being enslaved to fear. And then there's his power. His power to deliver, to walk with, to, to never abandon, to never leave, to be present, to not grow weary of me. Like even the people who know me best and love me most get weary of me. but not my heavenly father. Now, Jesus gives us this beautiful picture of what this looks like. Because come on, it sounds too good to be true, man. Luke 15, starting in verse 11. And Jesus said, there was a man who had two sons and the younger of them said to his father, man, those young ones, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. And not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country and he began to be in need. And so he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country. You see the enslavement? who sent him into the field to feed the pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate. And no one gave him anything. It's my favorite sentence in the Bible. But when he came to himself, I have prayed all week that you this morning would come to your senses. You would come 
to yourself. He said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. Listen to this. This is ridiculous. But while he was still a ways off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and he's alive again. He was lost and he's found. And they began to celebrate. So, so here, listen to me. Some of you still have the speech that you want to give God about why you'd make a good servant. Some of you keep coming in going, "Ah, man, I'm going to do this and I'm going to start doing this. I'm going to stop doing this. And man, I think you might be able to use me here. And you've got a father that scans the horizon at your return who's been waiting to just see your outline on the horizon. And when he sees you who spent your blessing on reckless living, the older brother later would say devoured your property with prostitutes. You don't even respond to your little deal that you tried to work out with him. Hey, you, I'll just be your servant, Lord. I'll just do these good things for you. And he's, he's not having it. He's your father. And fathers don't make slaves of their children. So he's not going to make the deal with you guys. He's not going to let you try to earn his love. He's not going to let you enslave yourself to trying to earn from him what he's freely giving you. He refuses to let you turn yourself into a slave when what he wants is intimacy and to use his power to protect you. And so here's here's the offer that echoes through the doctrine of adoption. You ready? Won't you come home? Won't you come home? And maybe you're like the younger brother here. He's like, oh my gosh. I've just squandered my wealth. God's blessed me with so many things and I've screwed it up. And you got this little speech in your head for him, like a kid that got caught and he still got to drive home and explain to his parents. You know, you just got the speech already. If you just give me another chance, I'll I'll never do it again. And hey, here's what I'm going to do. I'll never touch that. I'm never going to get your whole speech ready. And did you see the father? He's like, okay, sure. Robe, ring, fatted calf. The invitation is to come home. And so maybe you're here today and you've never come home. I'm telling you, I I have been in in this long enough to know that some of you, your whole understanding of the Christian faith is trying to tilt scales in your favor. All your spiritual activity is given over to get these things to tilt so that God might bless you. If I could do good and not do bad, God will bless me. If I can uh, stop this and start this, then, then God will bless me. And your entire focus is on these scales. Meanwhile, you have a heavenly father that desires intimacy and to cover you with his power. And that's what the gospel affords. A throwing ourselves on the mercy of Jesus and a covering from a heavenly father 
who is perfect in all of his ways. So here's the, let's call it a double invitation. Maybe this has just like blown your circuits today. I don't know. Maybe you have never heard the gospel from this angle. Uh, I mean, you've heard you're a sinner. You've heard Jesus died for you. You're, but you've never actually heard, yeah, yeah. And he rejoices over you in gladness. And not because of what you're doing, but because you throw yourself on his mercy to be justified. So you don't have to justify yourself. You, you can be justified by him. Well, I don't know if I won't fail him. Well, he's going to make you a new creation and you're going to fail him and he's going to rejoice over you with gladness. And as you navigate all the hurt and confusion and doubt and anger and sadness and lust and all the compulsions of your heart, your heavenly father just invites you to sit in the quietness of his love and receive from him peace. This is near impossible for us to believe, which is why Paul closes the argument like this, that the spirit testifies to our spirit that we're children of God. How does that happen? Here's how it happens. We love him and long to be with him. That is the simple baseline objective evidence of salvation. It's not perfection. It's not I used to be and now I'm not. It's I love him and want to be near him. And so if you've never said yes to this, I want to just give you the invitation. I'm here to say you have a heavenly father that wants to rejoice over you in gladness. Gosh, for men, most of the people I know, we never had that. We never had quiet love to sit in. We never were rejoiced over in gladness. And even if we were, we kind of made us self-righteous rather than, right? Sin's tricky and quick and What's it look like for you to surrender to that today? Here, here in a moment, I'm going to pray, and there are going to be some men and women in the back, and they're ready just to pray with you. You can just go like, hey, I want a, I want a heavenly Father who loves me and, and, and is going to move towards me in intimacy. Or, or maybe you're, in, you're a Christian, and you know you are. You already have said yes to this. And yet, over a period of time, man, you, you've just drifted back to the self. You've drifted back to others. You've drifted back to the world. You, you've drifted back to religion. You're just working real hard right now at cleaning up this area of your life. It's not a bad thing. It's just a terrible salvific thing. It doesn't bring about salvation. And I would argue that nearness to Jesus does more to destroy sin in your life than your best laid plans ever will. And so maybe the the thing that you'll need to do today is to repent of running back to chains rather than walking in the freedom of the children of God. Listen, I'm going to say this and pray. He loves you desires for you to experience that love. He, he's, not, he's not something that should be rolling around in the back of your head with all the other bits and pieces of your life. He, he's your heavenly father and wants no distance from you. Even if you think you look really unlovely right now, I honestly think that's when fathers pull closest to their children, when their faces are bloody and they know they've blown it. It's in that moment that grace has to be there. Why don't you come home? I'm going to pray. If you want to say yes to Jesus, men and women in the back, if you just need to repent or pray or ask the Holy Spirit to remind you of his love, do that. But let's move towards our heavenly father in these next few moments. Father, we bless you in the name of Jesus. We thank you that the invitation is to come home. 
The invitation is to not run, to not create any space, to not leave any space between us, but to, to, to press in by faith and ask that the Holy Spirit would allow us to experience you and experience your love in deep and rich ways. Help us, man. A lot of us, we're carrying around some real daddy wounds. Makes us see you in weird ways. Correct that. Heal that. Come in power upon us now. And it's for your beautiful name I pray. Amen.